Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. So excited to be here with you today. In today's episode, we cover so many bits of gold around burnout, how to get on that other side of burnout to live and build a career with more purpose. You know, in my life, there have been different points where I have totally felt and been in that state of burnout. And to put it bluntly, it sucks. It sucks to wake up in the morning without energy, without a real desire to attack the day. It sucks to not wake up with that feeling, you know, that feeling that you're just exhausted. Nothing is pulling you out of bed. And I've been there. On the contrary, it feels absolutely amazing to wake up with that energy, with that excitement, to feel so excited about the day, about what's ahead, where you can hardly sleep. You know, your work, your day, the things ahead of you are literally pulling you out of bed. They are pulling you out of your sleep. And you feel this just amazing, incredible aura and energy. Now, obviously, not every day will feel that way. But when you are in that flow state, you certainly have more days waking up with that sort of amazing, unstoppable force type of energy. Today, on this episode of the Bits of Gold podcast, my guest is Scott Anderson. Scott is a serial entrepreneur who has built and sold numerous businesses, and today is the CEO of Double Dare Executive Coaching, where he helps people who have hit a plateau. He helps people get out of their own way, recover, and fully live their unique talent, passion, and purpose. In this episode, Scott drops many bits of gold around how to navigate through burnout, how to live a life with more purpose, how to live a career with more purpose, and how to really lean into your passion in a very purposeful way. With that, enjoy the show. Scott, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. Very excited to have you on today. Thanks, Dan. Me too. Glad to be here. I know I mentioned this when we first connected, but I see that you're involved in entrepreneurs organization or you were you were involved. Are you still involved today? Yes, I coach a lot of people in EO and in YPO. Actually, most of my individual coaching clients come from one of those two programs. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So for those that don't know, Entrepreneurs EO or Entrepreneurs Organization is, you could probably speak to it much better than me, but it's an awesome organization that, at least my interpretation of it, brings community together to entrepreneurs or people who are trying to build or who are building a business because you need to hit a certain threshold to get in. But while I was in college, they had the Global Student Entrepreneurs Award, which focused on student entrepreneurs. And I was in it. I ended up ultimately representing the U.S. in the global competition. And Wow. What an honor. Yeah, it was. And it was just an awesome, truly an awesome organization, an awesome experience. And the people that I met that were in EO, but also the other students, I'm still in touch with so many of them today. And it certainly shaped a lot of my perspective around business and I think gave me a lot of personal belief as it relates to my own entrepreneurial journey. 
Absolutely. Uh, EO is a great organization. I really recommend it to any entrepreneur who is looking for community. And, you know, the, the coolest thing about EO is that, I mean, there's tremendous resources in terms of how to build your business. But at a forum level, which is basically a, a mastermind group of you know, 10 or so entrepreneurs, you know, it really is lonely at the top. As an entrepreneur, it's a pretty lonely way to go. And there aren't very many people who understand what you're doing or least of all why you're doing it. And one of the things EO does, I think better than anybody, is to provide a community and to provide a, a really safe, secure, and very productive forum to for entrepreneurs to get together and really talk about what it's really like. As they say, the top 5% and the bottom 5% of what it's really like to do that. And yeah, I've just found it to be great organization, great resources, wonderful people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny also, you know, you mentioned it's lonely. It's lonely as an entrepreneur and I'm 28 today, but I felt that more as I've gotten older than when I was building a business, maybe at 20 or 21 or 22. I've, I've certainly felt that more and more today when I hit hiccups or problems or things I'm trying to navigate, I see that the, the circle of people that I feel I can turn to is, has become infinitely smaller. So maybe it's something I should look into myself. <laughs> You've dodged a lot of bullets, right? I mean, to get from 21 to 28, is seven years worth of business. And, you know, frankly, a lot of, once you get past the five-year point, your rate of survival for any entrepreneur goes up dramatically. But mm -hmm. those first five years really thin the, the herd pretty quickly. So it is lonely. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who may have started out when you started out, but there aren't very many who have survived to, you know, seven years in business. So mm -hmm. good for you. That's, that's a big achievement. Well, I appreciate that. So we can jump into this one. Maybe we could just start by, you could start by sharing a little bit about who you are, what you do, sure. and we'll take it from there. Sure. Well, I'm a serial entrepreneur and have the scars to prove it. Uh, <laughs> I come from generations and generations of entrepreneurs on both sides of my family, which I think normalized it for me. Uh, it always seemed like a bigger risk to work as an employee for somebody than it did to start my own thing. Maybe it's in the genes or the blood or... Or maybe it's, you know, I don't know if it's nurture or nature, but both families on both sides were just entrepreneurs, ranchers and farmers and business owners. And uh, my grandfather started, ultimately ran a great family business, started a great family business, but he failed five times prior to that. You know, I think that kind of, that idea of failing and getting back up kind of gets woven into the your family story. Anyway, it did for me. I've run nine companies. I've sold six of them. Um, one of the remaining ones is a not-for-profit organization, which provides uh, post-traumatic stress disorder treatment technology for military families. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. I, I've been an executive coach for 15 years. Uh, it's one of the things that I've done. And I'm also a licensed mental health therapist, in part to help me run the post-traumatic stress disorder organization, but also I, I practice as as both a therapist and a coach. Mm. Did you choose to become a therapist strictly for that? Like did that, that happened much later on in your life? It did. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, in my fifties when I, well, I started this, this PTSD organization called at ease USA. And part of what I realized was that to be knowledgeable enough to be able to vet the investments we were making and the technology we were exploring, uh, I really needed to have a lot more information. So I went back to school and got a master's degree in clinical counseling. And uh, I'd al always been interested in it, but that was sort of the driver was so that I could more intelligently 
run this not-for-profit organization. You know, it's, it's very interesting hearing you say that because as you go on your journey in life, your career, your professional journey, if you start going down a path, let's just say you're doing the same thing or a similar thing for X amount of years, and then all of a sudden you say, hey, I'm going to go back to school. Did you have any doubt in your mind as to like, is this the right move or, because I feel like a lot of people might question that later on in life saying, hey, I've, I've been doing the same thing. Am I really going to go back to school and start over in right. some ways? You know, I think this is part of the entrepreneurial short attention span, you know, where you know, I've got about 10 things I want to do right now. It's just a question of how to pick time to do them. Mm. And, you know, and that's that's a blessing and a curse with entrepreneurs. You know, there are a lot of things that we'd like to do. And sometimes we're strong starters, we're weak finishers, you know, which is why when a business gets to five years old, a lot of times they do fail because entrepreneurs are, again, strong starters, but and are really excited about starting something from nothing. But when things begin to plateau or things begin to be the same every day, uh, I know I get bored. Mm -hmm. It's not something I'm proud of necessarily. But anyway, so as far as school is concerned, it was just struck me as the right thing to do at the time. And uh, so I just kind of leapt into it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I can really resonate with much of what, what you're saying there. I've been there before uh, multiple times over where start something super exciting and then all of a sudden it's, no longer the most exciting thing in the world. Right. <laughs> so I'd love to talk a little bit about your family business. Let's go back. What was the business and was that your first jump in being an entrepreneur or did you first enter the business as, as an employee? What, what did that look like for you? Sure. So, I mean, I'm one of those kids that had, you know, I had a shoe shine stand and a lemonade stand and had a lot of business ideas as a, as a young kid, which I think kind of prepared me for the, for the way that my life has gone. But yeah, so my grandfather, in the middle of the Depression, started a construction equipment business. And uh, this this was a guy who failed five times starting similar businesses. And then finally, really, and in the middle of the Depression, I mean, I don't know how, how he did it, but he, he created a very, very successful construction equipment business. My father got involved in it in the late 40s, and then I worked there... Uh, doing a lot of odd jobs. He really wanted me to come into the business. I wasn't so crazy about it at the time. I was working for advertising agencies in uh, Boston and New York, and I was really liking that. I didn't really want to go into the business. But, you know, unfortunately, Dan, like you, my dad died when I was, uh, or I guess your mom died when you were 25. But my dad died more or less at his desk. Um, there was no succession plan. You know, there wasn't any, there wasn't any plan at all. And unfortunately, this happened in the 80s when, you know, we talk about inflation today at, you know, 8%, but inflation then was uh, double digits. Interest rates were 18% and uh, you couldn't buy or sell anything. And we had a similar problem with fuel, but there was just no fuel, period. There's no mm -hmm. gas because of the uh, Iran problem. We, we couldn't get any fuel into this country at all. There's huge gas lines. The economy was really frozen. I came back you know, to try to run this business, you know, and soaking wet behind the ears, apart from writing television commercials and having worked in this business occasionally, I didn't know what I was doing. And it was an incredible trial by fire. You know, we had to talk to banks a lot and manufacturer partners a lot and customers who were having real trouble in this economy. They couldn't buy anything because of the 18% interest rates. Yeah, it was a incredibly tough time. Plus, as you know, just the grief of going through my father dying at 59 years old, which I'm 65 now, 59 seems young. Mm. 
looking back, I mean, it was a really grueling thing. I think if I hadn't been so young and naive, I don't know if I would have gotten through it. Uh, you know, just had to keep doing one thing after the other. So you kind of just threw yourself into the, the family business. Right. How did your dad pass? He had a, a variety of different problems and ultimately he had heart problems and circulatory problems, but ultimately he had a stroke that killed him. So for you, what changed specifically following your dad's passing? Because it sounds like it was it was fairly sudden, although he was, wasn't doing so well for some time. Yeah. Well, and even though he wasn't doing well, and even though I knew that, you know, his life expectancy wasn't good, it still came as kind of a shock. And I moved from Boston back to New York, or back to uh, Nebraska, where my family's from. And, you know, which was a culture shock for me. I had lived there in 10 years. But mainly, it wasn't just a company that I was walking into, but it was sort of a family museum with all of my father, my father's artifacts and my grandfather's artifacts. And it was almost as though it felt like that, that both of their ghosts were there all the time. And obviously, I was being compared to them a lot. And at 25, you know, a lot of people had some very uh, reasonable concern that I didn't know what I was doing. And mm. to a big extent, I didn't. I had to really learn a lot in a very short amount of time. It was a tremendous education, trial by fire. I made a ton of mistakes, beginners, you know, beginning newcomer leadership mistakes and business mistakes. You know, I had to learn a hell of a lot. The other thing about closely held businesses and family businesses is that they're extremely complicated, especially those that are three generation companies, because you've got lots and lots of family members of different ages from nine to 90 who have very, very different needs. So, you know, that made, makes this thing exponentially more complicated. Mm. So, you know, you're also 25 years old and you have to obviously navigate grieving the loss of your dad. What was that like for you? Because you're balancing both on one hand, the, the loss of your dad. On one hand, you know, you're sort of throwing yourself into the family business and taking the reins of it. What was that balance like for you? Well, you know, the grief was very hard and you know, it just, it really was. And plus, I was drinking very heavily even before I came into the family business. It kind of helped me in a way get through it. But ultimately, I got to a point where within the first maybe nine months that I was back, the grief and the pressure and the alcohol were killing me. So I went to a treatment center and stopped drinking. And then I could begin to kind of face, for the first time in really ever, I suppose, really face life the way it really is. So there were kind of three things. Yeah, I was like facing this business, which was in, in trouble. The whole economy was in trouble, facing the, the grief of my father, and then also facing, you know, early recovery from alcoholism. You know, it was an incredibly challenging time. It was also, you know, when I think about it in retrospect, you know, probably among the most productive and important times in my life. Really had to grow up uh, in a way that I wouldn't have had to otherwise. I don't think I wouldn't have been able to not just in business, but as a person, really face reality, the face the reality of my dad being gone, facing the reality of this business being kind of teetering on going out of business and then my own kind of precarious health situation. Was there anything specifically, you know, that's obviously a lot to navigate at such a young age. Was there anything specifically that enabled you to get through those times that you have a mantra or 
some practice or what changed in your life specifically on the other end of it when you were able to get clean with alcohol and go back into the business and just start rebuilding your life in some ways? Well, you know, there are a couple of things. One of the most important was that I got a mentor at that point in my life who not only knew about alcoholism, but also about business and was just incredibly helpful to me and, and uh, generous with his time and support and really helped me begin to grow up, gave me the kind of guidance that I needed and the kind of and discipline, frankly, that I needed to begin to, to grow up finally, to face the world the way it is. And you know, I think that one thing in, its, in itself, this guy uh, was named Click Weston, wonderful man who has since passed away, unfortunately, but I was, you know, just instrumental in, um, in saving my life, you know, or helping me save my own life. That's beautiful to hear. I hear you mentioning growing up a couple of times, and I, I sense a theme there. I'm curious to dig into that a little bit. I think about my own loss and how after my parents passed, each loss had its own impact, obviously, in my life. But I can really relate to you mentioning growing up after my parents passed, facing the realities and in many ways, the, the hardships of life. But to put it blunt, also the, the realities of life. I'm, That's right. I'm curious if, if your dad never passed, like if your dad never passed at that moment in your life, do you think you would have ultimately went on a looking back now, right? Yeah. Do you think the way you viewed the world, the, the perspective you might have developed in the years following would have been different? Because I, I think about that a lot in my own life, how differently I perceive the world, how differently I view the world, how differently I essentially grew up and was forced to grow up in many ways overnight. Yeah. Exactly. And also the differences in how I feel I grew up from when my dad died when I was 20 to how I grew up after my mom died when I was 25. So I'm curious how that sits with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, looking back, probably the single most significant thing moment in my life. I mean, it changed everything overnight. You know, I'm sure you experienced that. I was living and working in Boston at the time, producing television commercials on, in New York and just having a great time drinking too much and, and had probably having too much fun. But, you know, my life was in a was in a definite direction. And, you know, I think that that life could have ultimately killed me the direction I was headed in. So I don't know why things happen or how things happen, but I do know that at that point, my, my life took a radical turn in a very different direction. Mm. And, you know, it was a very hard one to get through for a while. But looking back with hindsight, I mean, it, it made all the difference. I mean, it just changed everything. Where I lived, how I lived, everything changed. That makes sense. You ultimately sold the business or you're still involved in the family business today? No. So I sold it, finally did get it turned around. The economy improved, the construction industry improved dramatically. And we were fortunate to be able to live through that, that real hard time in the American economy to the point where four years later, and I thought it would take maybe 90 days to turn it around and I could go back to advertising, but it, it took four years to get it turned around. But then we sold it to the employees. Uh, we did an ESOP and sold it to the employees. We had so many family members involved in what you know, I thought at one point about buying it myself, but there are just so many family members involved that the, the only way really was for all of us to get out. Mm, got it. So at what point in your life did you become interested in executive coaching and, and helping other entrepreneurs and high level executives and, and people get out of their own way and create more purpose in, in their life? Um, maybe you could share a little bit about what you're working on today outside of the, the nonprofit work as well. Sure. 
Well, the main thing about coaching was, so a year after I sold the family business, I started my advertising agency from scratch with, you know, at first just me and then a part-time employee. And interestingly, that first part-time employee ended up buying the agency and running the, she runs it today with her, with her partners. But about midway through, I, I owned the business for 25 years and about midway through, I hit a point of real dryness and, you know, I guess in retrospect, I'd call it burnout. The business was fine. The business was doing well, but I was really losing interest in it. And this is kind of an entrepreneurial phenomenon to go through. I didn't realize it at the time. But anyway, somebody told me I should hire a coach. And you know, this is 20 years ago, and coaches were not really – today it's pretty common for people to have coaches, but in those days it really wasn't. Anyway, I hired a guy more or less at random who turned out to be a perfect choice and a wonderful – also a wonderful mentor and is still a friend today. And – I engaged him for this 90 days worth of work. And during that period, I started the not-for-profit that I mentioned at East USA. I could see that the impact that coaching was having on me, and I, I was really astounded at how far my, this coach was able to take me in a 90-day period, not only in, in the outside, but especially on the inside. And I was just amazed that the amount of progress that we made in 90 days would have maybe taken me nine years otherwise. And the dramatic impact and power of coaching really got my attention. So, and that got me really, really hooked at that point. They wanted to know more about it, how it works. I got a lot of training at the Coach Training Institute in San Francisco and, uh, you know, really immersed myself and then started a coaching business within the advertising agency. So when I sold the agency, maybe 10 years later, I took the coaching practice with me, which is now called Double Dare. And answer your question about, you know, what am I doing today? I continue to coach entrepreneurs and mainly small business owners that because that's what I know the most about people who start businesses and people who were running businesses, including closely held family businesses and partnership businesses, which I've done. But over the last five years, I've really been focused on helping uh, entrepreneurs and executives with burnout. I went through, I mentioned the period that I went through about midway through my agency career but I went through another cloud of it as I was selling my agency or just before selling it, really the reason I sold it and sold my interest in it. And burnout was something that I really wasn't that familiar with. And even though you hear about it all the time today, you know, there's remarkably little written about it. Even in, in getting my master's degree in clinical counseling, there's very little talked about, about specifically what do you do about it and what is it. So over the last five years, well, about five years ago, I was... I was going through my own burnout, kind of grief over selling my advertising agency. And even though I had, I had this training and experience as a therapist, and even though I had colleagues who I could see about it, it was really what I was going through was really unusual even for me. The exhaustion, I felt totally exhausted all the time, couldn't really account for it. I felt really disconnected from the work that I, that I was doing, even though it was work that I loved. I felt really disconnected from it. And isolated from other people. I really couldn't explain what I was going through. And little by little and out of desperation, kind of tried anything I could get my hands on, did a lot of research into the, into the research that's been done on uh, workplace burnout and was able to stumble into some things, into some techniques and skills that, that I tried on myself and then ultimately tried on the, on both my coaching and my therapy clients who are entrepreneurs mainly and executives and found some things that, that worked, that really worked well. 
found that my own my own burnout went away and the burnout of the folks that I was working with uh, went away. So over the last five years. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We created a program called Burnout Breakthrough, which is a proven process now of techniques that not only help people break through burnout, no matter how many other things they've tried, but to do so in a, in a remarkably short amount of time as we say, 90 days or less. And not only that, but to stay out of burnout permanently because there's a real tendency to lapse back into it. That's super interesting. I want to dive into some of those techniques in a second. But specifically, you know, when, when, you, were, when you were building the agency, it sounds like everything was going well and you eventually reached this point of, of burnout. You know, you, you reach this point where maybe the business wasn't so exciting to you. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, maybe you could speak a little bit to that. Yes. But yeah. I don't know if this is something you experienced, but... I think also sometimes when you, as an entrepreneur, when you're in the pursuit of building your own business and the business works, but it's not the thing that's getting you going, it's not the thing that's waking you up in the morning. Right. I think that that can also be extremely challenging because, and I know we, we referenced at the beginning how, you know, it's a, it's a lonely journey, but I don't know if you turned to or spoke to any friends that just had a, a, a regular job or a more regular career path. But, you know, because I, I've, I've been in similar shoes before and my friends who have like a, a more regular nine to five job said, you know, you're, you're crazy. You're living the dream. You have this, this awesome yeah. business that produces positive profit or a positive cash flow. Yeah. You have the dream. You have it all figured out. I trade anything to be in your position. Sometimes you reach a point where it's not the thing that's waking you up anymore, all excited, juiced up. Right. I'm curious specifically for you, was that the case or was it more, was it the business? Was it the people? Was it, what, what exactly would you say brought you to like that point of burnout? And also how did you navigate that element of having a business that works? Cause you know, you, you made a lot of references to it. It's extremely hard to build a business that does work. And when it does work, it's, it's you do sort of have this aha moment where, Hey, we, we did it. We're here now. We did it. But yeah, I think, I think that that can be very challenging. Yeah, it is. And as I say, I mean, part of it is, and, and I'm not, you know, I mean, this is part of being an entrepreneur. It's not my my uh, most positive quality, for sure. But like a lot of entrepreneurs, I have a short attention span. And, you know, I would say it's almost like an addiction. There's a real exhilaration that comes from building something from scratch and getting the plane off the ground and getting it to fly is very, very exciting. Keeping it flying for a lot of entrepreneurs is not as interesting. You know, I think that's part of it. The other part of it is that 
the advertising uh, agency business is not for the faint of heart. And there's a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, I went through the, like everybody, I went through the dot-com bubble bursting and the 2008 Great Recession and so forth. And, and we did actually remarkably well through all of that. But, you know, the stress of that is really takes a toll. So I think it's, it's two of those things. I mean, it's, it's on the one hand, it's short attention span and a basic kind of an immaturity in a lot of entrepreneurs like me anyway. And it's this sort of addiction in a way to the, to the exhilaration of building something. But then, you know, there's also the, the day after day after day battering that you take as an entrepreneur. It shouldn't come as any surprise. You know, I mean, that's what being an entrepreneur is, you know, solving problems every single day. That's the definition, I think, of entrepreneur is thousands of problems to solve. And there's a guy, coach and consultant, wonderful guy named Russ Rufino. I just listened to his podcast the other day, and he was talking about how that sometimes entrepreneurs are surprised when there's problems. But that's all entrepreneurship is, really. I mean, there's hopefully some success and some joy, but there's but it's problems every single day. It's solving problems. And he said it's sort of like going into the prize ring, the heavyweight boxing prize ring for the first time. And you go out in the middle of the ring and, and you get tagged right in the nose. And you say, well, he hit me. He comes <laughs> out of surprise. But this is what entrepreneurship is. You know, I mean, it is really, truly uh, solving problems every day. And so after a while, that can take a toll. The thing about your friends that they may not realize is that part of it, right? I mean, to them, it may look like you, you probably, from their perspective, make it look easy. Mm. But you know that every day... 24-7, seven days a week, it's all about solving problems. Yeah. And that part about it is not as glamorous and not as sexy and not as fun. And and frankly, it's very, very stressful. And so a lot of people who are employees and have regular jobs, if they could really stand in your shoes for a day or two, would never want it. Not really. You know, not once they saw what it's really about. Yeah. So one one of the things that's interesting in, in your story, you, you mentioned, I think you said you built nine nine businesses. Yeah. Are there other businesses that you've tried that aren't the nine that you built or those are the nine businesses? Yeah. And a couple of them were complete failures. Wipe out failures. So one thing just as it relates to mindset with money and, and navigating all that, did you ever reach a point when you hit a flop or when you tried something, it didn't work? Did you ever reach a point in your head, hey, I'll just go, go get a job or... And also because yeah. I think one other thing that can be very challenging going back to like the, the agency, it sounds like, you know, that was a, a profitable business that did well, but you reach this point of burnout, but it's sometimes very hard to relinquish your golden handcuffs in some ways and, you know, it let is. it go because especially when, yeah. when it's not the thing that's waking you up or it's not the thing that's getting you all energized and yeah. jazzed up, but you know, you have the money coming in, you know, that can be a very tricky exactly. thing. That's exactly what happened to me, Dan. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, the, the advertising agency was golden handcuffs. It was predictable. It was a good living and a good, you know, a good thing. And, you know, it wasn't definite ups and downs, not just economic cycles, but winning clients, losing clients, all of that, that were, you know, that are not for the faint of heart, as I said. But yeah, you know, and this is the thing, and this is really, I think, where I caused my own burnout was that. About five years before I sold my interest in the agency to my partners, you know, I think I realized that I need to get out, that I need to do something different. And really that something different was running this coaching business. But I didn't, it is golden handcuffs. And I, you know, I was really kind of 
dependent on that. And so, you know, it, I reached a point, unfortunately, in my case, where I really reached an impasse with my partners where we were just really going in very different directions. And they didn't want to go in the direction I was going in, and I didn't want to go in the direction they were going in. You know, fortunately, we had a good buy-sell agreement. You know, everything was conducted in an orderly way. But, you know, really, when I think about it, I'm honest with myself, I just had sort of lost my my guts, kind of my grit temporarily, and and was in a comfortable situation, at least somewhat comfortable situation, and those golden handcuffs were hard to take off. And I think that was part of the burnout I put myself through and also put my partners through was the indecision and the lack of commitment to a direction. And so, you know, ultimately, I you know, was kind of forced to make a decision and to take action, which I'm now very, very grateful for. And I wish in retrospect that I've been able to be clearer about that and bolder about it than I was. But because that did that did result in a that impasse in my mind, um, as well as with my partners, was really difficult to go through and uh, for them and for me. So, you know, I mean, in retrospect, I regret that, but I, I understand, I have a much better understanding today of what was going on. And the golden handcuffs piece was definitely part of it. Did you start building your coaching business while you were in the agency or that really came after? Yeah. No, I, I started building it. And, you know, to their credit, my, my partners, while they didn't necessarily believe in it or even understand it entirely did allow me to do that. So I was able to begin building this coaching business within the advertising agency. And did you start to see some financial success there where it started to like, you could hedge a bet and say, Hey, if I'm going to pursue this, at least I, I can make comparable money one day. There's a path, there's a trajectory. Yeah, I did begin to see that. Yeah, definitely. And that certainly made the decision, you know, easier ultimately. But again, it was one of those start from scratch situations. And, you know, it took a year to incubate that uh, within the advertising agency to get it to the place where it would, you know, produce a, uh, a decent income and a decent profit. Yeah, 100%. It's funny because, you know, entrepreneurship has become such a glorified thing. I think really, especially over the last, I would say even so, I'm 28. When I graduated college seven years ago, like I had a business in high school that I started I sold that a year after college. And then while I was in college, I, I helped co-found another business and building businesses wasn't glorified, but I, I think it, it has really become that today where, you know, it's like the cool thing to do. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, hearing you, you talk a little bit about your own journey because you see, you know, these, especially with Silicon Valley and tech, you know, you see these, you read these articles of obviously everything's changing right now, but you've been reading these articles for years of, huge valuations, huge buyouts. And when you read that, you know, it, it gets glorified and everyone, I think a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs think that that's the journey. That's what it's like, but it really is exactly. hard decisions. Like you mentioned, constantly solving problems, constantly putting out fires and really like the grind. It's, it's that journey on, and, and that, and that nonstop yeah. grind. It is. And you know, let's face it, the vast majority of entrepreneurs fail the vast majority. And this is going back to the five-year piece. I mean, the vast majority of entrepreneurs fail in the first five years. Mm -hmm. you know, they get wiped out. And, you know, I've had other businesses that I've, that I've tried that, that you know, were just complete failures within a year, you know, were sobering and, and humbling. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's part of being an entrepreneur. But I think you're right that there are a lot of people. There's two things going on today. I mean, the, the entrepreneurship concept is glorified and I think 
distorted, you know, again, because the failure rate is, I don't know what, 95% or something. There's also this sort of, uh, I, I see especially today, this sort of laptop lifestyle that, you know, that we read about where the illusion and Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, I think kind of promoted this idea, although he's really captured something. But there's this, there's an idea today that I, you know, that I think it's really possible to start a TikTok channel and have a million dollars in six months and work two hours a week. On the one hand, I mean, it's mythology on the one hand. On the other, though, at least now when I see, you know, younger people, my children's age, starting businesses, the object, you know, in my generation as a baby boomer, it's all about working harder, working more, worrying more. That's like the one, that's the one trick pony, right? I can work anybody else into the ground. But what I'm seeing today, and it really started with Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, is the concept of a laptop lifestyle where I'm going to work for you know, four hours a week. And the objective was to work smarter, to, work, to create scalable businesses, and for lifestyle to be kind of the key to it. Mm. And there are certainly people that I know that are doing that. Now, did they do that on day one? Because they make a million dollars a year working four hours a week on day one? No. And are they the exception? Absolutely. Yeah, few and far between. Absolutely. And for them to have achieved any level of success where they can even, you know, put sort of live that live that lifestyle or go a little more hands off because of scale and things like that. It, it definitely has taken a lot of hard, hard and smart work. Absolutely. And a lot of luck, let's face it. And again, the only people you read about are successes. The only people you see a TED talk or a TikTok video about or YouTube video about are successes. And you don't see TED talks by usually by people who have failed. Mm -hmm. And yet the vast majority of people fail. So it gives you this distorted idea, I think, that all you have to do is decide to be an entrepreneur and a million dollars is in your future. You know, the chances are infinitely larger that you're going to lose a million dollars than you're going to make a million dollars. Yeah. And that's the thing. And this is why when, you know, like when your friends think, well, you've got it all, they don't know what you've got. And they probably, you know, and I don't mean this as a criticism, but they probably wouldn't want what you have or be able to stand what you have. Mm for more than a, you know, than a couple of days, once they realize that every single penny that they have is entirely dependent on them. Yeah. Stressful. <laughs> yeah, it is right. It's different. So let's, let's just shift a little bit to discuss breaking through burnout. You know, that obviously that's a huge part of what you do today and how you're helping people today. Right. Would love if you can share some of the shifts that people can make if they're at a sure. state of burnout, whether it be in their own business or maybe they're they're at a place in their career where they want to make some change and, and break through. Absolutely. Well, you know, the first thing that I had to learn about burnout is that it is a bona fide disorder or illness. And it's recently been classified or designated by the World Health Organization and the American Psychiatric Association as a bona fide mental and physical problem with its own symptoms. So that's you know, kind of the, the beginning point is just to realize that that what's going on, if you if you have the symptoms I'm going to talk about, is a bona fide real problem. The term burnout's been thrown around since the 70s when the when a psychologist did research into emergency room doctors and nurses, and really what he was talking about at that point was compassion fatigue, and the burnout was the passion for the patient being snuffed out, and since then it's come to mean all kinds of different things. But today, the World Health Organization definition of a burnout is a couple of things. The first symptom is a pervasive exhaustion, mind, body, and spirit that doesn't go away with a good night's sleep, 
uh, or a vacation or a long weekend or whatever. It's the kind of fatigue that is really pervasive and chronic. So that's, that's the thing that people notice the most. Second piece, the second symptom is feeling disconnected from or isolated from even your own business, your own customers, your own employees, the own, your own mission, vision, and values to feel really disconnected and isolated from it, for it to feel kind of foreign to you. And then the, the third set of symptoms, and this is as it gets, as it progresses and gets worse, is to go from being ambivalent about your, your career or your customers, your business partners, your business, to go to be, to become antagonistic or resentful. And this is once you're at that point, you're, you're usually in pretty severe burnout symptoms. So these are the three kind of clusters of symptoms identified by the World Health Organization and the American Psychiatric Association. So that's the bad news, I guess. And it's very, very pervasive. Today, the Gallup people say that 89% of the American workforce claims that they feel burned out most of the time, according to those symptoms. And 80% of people feel as though they're more burned out now than they were a year ago. Or in other words, when COVID was supposedly on the wane in 2021, people feel more burned out. 80% of people feel more burned out now than they did then. So unfortunately, it's a very pervasive problem. You could say it's a pandemic that's actually much bigger than in COVID. Mm. And it costs businesses and individuals in lots of different ways. And one of the main ways that it, that it costs individuals is that the things that, that the human mind normally thinks to do actually make burnout worse. The natural instinct for the mind is to either make the symptoms of exhaustion and so forth go away, to make them just go away, or to avoid them. And unfortunately, neither technique works. In fact, both of them bring back the symptoms. The symptoms bounce back pretty quickly and even stronger than they were before. And so in America today, uh, especially during the pandemic, people have mainly treated their burnout with food, alcohol, drugs, television, media, pornography, in lots of different ways to either avoid or to force disturbing thoughts and emotions out of their minds. And it doesn't work, clearly. And in fact, it can lead to lots of knock-on problems. Mm. The human mind you know, is a problem-solving entity, and it either wants to get rid of the problem or it wants to avoid the problem. But unfortunately, neither one of those techniques work. So what the research has shown is that one of the very counterintuitive things to do, rather than forcing problems away or avoiding them, is to actually accept the disturbing thoughts and emotions that you have that are part of burnout the lack of motivation, maybe the antagonism towards uh, coworkers or customers. It's very counterintuitive, but it really starts with acceptance of the, the sensations that you're feeling and the combination of anxiety, stress, depression, overwhelm to actually experience those things. And then there are a lot of proven techniques that we teach in our program that are designed to help you not only to sort of face it and accept these symptoms, but to release them and to let them go. The good news is that there are a lot of proven techniques that really work remarkably quickly and result in a permanent recovery from burnout. It's just that it's not counterintuitive. It is counterintuitive. It's not the things that our mind normally gravitates to when we try to solve problems. Would you say most people who are navigating their own burnout is the easiest thing to do make change or is that typically very difficult because making change in and of itself, I'm talking like, let's say you're burnt out in your career or your business, whatever it may be, is the easiest thing to do it. Hey, I'm going to leave this and just go do that thing over there now. I'm going to try something new. I find that to be a lot easier. 
if you have a, a job, right? You can just yeah. jump ship, try a new company, maybe pivot and try something a little bit different. But is, is that from your experience, the easier thing to do? Or can you, when you're in that situation, like actually navigate and change your situation within the company that you're working at or the company you're building? What I found is unfortunately that that doesn't work. We've worked with a lot of folks who have sold their companies thinking that'll help my burnout or you know, we found people who've gotten divorced or moved to a different town or gotten a different job. And unfortunately, that doesn't usually work with burnout. And I say that with a caveat that if you're working in a toxic environment where you've got a predatory boss or a, a working environment that is toxic or inequitable or, you know, otherwise bad, then by all means, get out as fast as you can. But my experience has been working with our clients is that it doesn't usually help. It's an inside job. And unfortunately, what happens is that people typically take their burnout with them wherever they go, whether they get divorced or get a new job or start a new company or whatever they do, move to a new town. Unfortunately, the, the burnout is not an external thing. It's an internal thing. And this is why so often the things that people do to break through burnout not only don't work, but make it worse. Mm. When you say it's it's an internal thing, is it that the that person is looking for something more than what they have now in terms of like more meaning, more purpose in there, or is it all sorts, it could be all sorts of different things. Well, what we found is, I mean, it's a, it's perfectly legitimate to, of course, to look for things that have more, they're more fulfilling and have more meaning. But the first thing that has to happen is you have to recover from burnout and to get clear again about what you really care about and what you really love and what really matters to you. And um, you have to recover from the exhaustion and from the overwhelm and from the stress that are inherent in burnout. And so we advise people to recover from burnout first and, and put big decisions on hold until you can feel better and make clearer and better decisions. Don't quit your job. Don't, I mean, again, unless it's a predatory kind of an environment, misogynistic or whatever it happens to be. And then of course you gotta get out. But what we found is that people can make much better, clearer decisions that have to do with their fulfillment and the meaning that they give to work after they've recovered, if they try to make those decisions on the front end, they expect those decisions to solve the burnout. And that's not the way it works. Mm, that makes sense. We could start to wrap up this episode and, and the show today. I'm curious specifically on the, the burnout topic though, what would be the first step if you are in that situation, the most practical thing that someone can do if you're trying to go about this journey by yourself and you're, you're feeling those feelings of being burnt out what would be like the, the, the most practical thing that someone can do? Well, what we always advise first and foremost is for people to go to go to their doctor and uh, to get a complete checkup. And with COVID, a lot of people have put off um, getting medical treatment. So first and foremost, we, we always advise people to go to a doctor and make sure that there isn't an organic medical condition going on that you also need to deal with. Assuming that there isn't, assuming that it really is burnout. You know, again, there are five proven shifts that we found that really, really work. And um, if folks are interested, they can check out our, our um, masterclass at Burnout Breakthrough and find out exactly what it takes because fortunately there are some very specific things that work really well. They're just not what come immediately to mind. They're not the natural sort of intuitive things that you would think to do. Got it. Makes complete sense. I'll make sure to include that in, in the show notes. Where can people find you, connect with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, I, we've got a open uh, Facebook group called Beyond Burnout. Anybody'd like to uh, join us there? We have there's lots of information, videos, etc. 
at Beyond Burnout on Facebook. Love to join you there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm you know, all the usual outlets. We have a YouTube channel for Burnout Breakthrough. Lots and lots of great training there. Uh, invite people to check that out. Also, and I'll give you the link afterwards, but I've got a quick free online assessment for burnout that a lot of people have found is useful. It's a great, in fact, maybe that's one of the first best things you can do is, is to have that assessment. Awesome. Well, Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming platform you listen on. It really helps with growing the show and reaching more people. With that, keep building a purpose-driven life, keep being intentional, and enjoy the rest of your week. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.